morning to Connex. Uh, I'm here with Jeff Zellin in his beautiful conference room uh, at Davis Elliott, uh, and we're going to uh, go through some items today. And rather than introduce my introduce you, um, I, I'll just let you introduce yourself. So feel free to brag on yourself as much as possible. Um, my name is Jeff Zellin with Davis H. Elliott. Um, I'm a division manager working for our electrical services division. Uh, I'm a Former EKU grad, so I came through the EKU. When did you graduate from EKU? Uh, 2004. Oh, you're an old guy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was the young guy in the room, and then all of a sudden I looked around and I was like, no, I'm not the young guy. When I, when I interviewed my first guy who's graduated, or whose birth date was the year that I graduated high school, I realized that I'm not the young guy. Oh, not anymore. Not anymore. So, um, so what's your what's your position here? Um, I'm a division manager. So uh, our company is made up of four regions. Mm -hmm. um, our our central region has a group that does transmission, distribution, uh, electrical services, which is done by commercial and industrial construction, mm -hmm. and uh, our traffic group that does uh, DOT lighting, highway lighting. Um, Traffic signals, that stuff, that sort of stuff. So I'm over the electrical services group, and I report up this. So, as far as your company goes, how, how you know, we were talking before we started about how large your company is. Mm -hmm. Can you describe like the history of your company, where you guys came from, where you're at now? Uh, sure. Uh, Elliot was founded in 1946 uh, by uh, one of the Elliots, and uh, started out kind of little bit of commercial type construction, a little bit of um, utility construction. Um, over the course of that time, it grew from just, you know, a, a crew or two up to what it is now, which is 2,400 employees. Um, we're across the, the southeastern, the eastern United States. And you said this is your headquarters here in Lexington? Correct, yes. Uh, headquarters here in Lexington. We have offices in Oklahoma, Nashville, Dayton, Ohio, uh, Roanoke, Virginia, Baltimore. Uh, How far west do you guys go? Really, Oklahoma is as far west. Okay. Um, we work down in the Carolinas. So uh, one of the big parts of our business is storm response. Mm -hmm. so a lot of our growth is fed by uh, when the wind blows. Uh, Mine become <laughs> yeah. a hot commodity as do bucket trucks. Yeah. And uh, so you know, we. So when you have a storm or something, you guys pack up and you guys go. Yes, uh, it's pretty complicated, uh, but the utility crews that normally work on, uh, on a kind of an hourly or mm -hmm. unit, unit basis get released from the customers that they work for, and they all drive south. So uh, my particular business line in commercial construction, obviously, we, mm -hmm. we, we don't engage in that really. So, you know, for your section of the business, I mean, um, what, you know, w when you started, were you in this sector? Uh, when you started with the company? I did. I started as a project manager. Okay. Uh, in commercial. And so, so uh, what did it look like when you walked in the door here, and what what does it look like now to you? Um, when I started, we had one estimator, uh, the division manager, and I was the second project manager, mm -hmm. so to speak. And I want to say, I don't know the exact numbers, I think we had like 30 to 40. You know, field mm -hmm. field electricians, um, and that was in end of 2011. And so today we've got 
almost 130 electricians working in the field. Wow. Uh, three estimators full time, and uh, well, what I call 10 or 11, uh, you know, administrative pack managers. So what do you guys attribute the growth like that for? I mean, that doesn't just happen overnight or happen by, you know, just not having a plan. What do you guys attribute that to? Um, I'd say one is being smart about projects, mm -hmm. um, not not chasing size, but chasing successful projects, um, you know, wanting to wanting to make money. Um, the other one is, is working on uh, – Building responsibility for people and mm -hmm. building the people, and um, you know, kind of come to come to the awareness of scale. At some point, I can't meet with every customer that we have. Um, it's, it's physically impossible. I've got to engage my my leaders mm -hmm. to go be that customer guy. I can't be responsible to every apprentice and every electrician for their development. I can help build an organization that develops electricians, but I have to engage my managers and my supervisors to be that person that's developing electricians and build that, that framework and that culture. And it's, it's kind of been not us reaching out, trying to grow. It's been, it's almost happened too fast. It's almost uh -huh. growing organically and we're not even really What's interesting is what you say is it's so interesting to me is like you become the voice you know when you when you get involved in an organization and as you as you grow you're the voice to the customer and everything and then you get to a point where you're no longer that voice and so the, the, your only effectiveness is having those people in the positions to be the voice because you know as you said you don't get to meet with every client. Everything that we're taught, uh, Elliot adopted a servant leadership model, I think back in like 2009, so right before I got here, um, and, and it was just built on, don't, don't feel like you have to do everything. Train the guy and, and explain to him how you want it done, and then you don't have to do everything. You, you get the guy underneath you doing it, uh, or two levels down, and everybody working towards the same goals. And you, you don't have to be the everything person. You, trust your people and you train them to do things where you want to done. So was that servant leadership uh, model something that was like a deliberate thing or was it just something that was a culture here already? Um, I think it was the, you know, Dave Haskins, who's our, our company president, will just say he went to, he was forced to go to a leadership uh, you know, <laughs> seminar of sorts and, and went into it thinking, ah, what is this? And, and came out really energized and realizing mm -hmm. that at some point he, he can't he can't reach down to that, that lineman in the field and say, hey, I want your work safe. All he can do is influence the leaders to build a culture that will make that guy want to work safe. And it's, it's just a, when you start putting it in those perspectives, mm -hmm. all of a sudden he felt free to work the, the way he wanted to. And um, ever since then, like I said, the growth has been, been outstanding. Have you guys had any specific significant events that kind of have changed your guys' business model? Um, if you, I, I would say if you ask David, he would tell, he would immediately mm -hmm. go to the, to the servant leadership and say that that's made all the difference. Um, I, I couldn't say there's anything obviously, you know, good economic mm -hmm. times uh, for anybody in construction. So you can't, you can't, 
to them when the times were lean. You know, so 2008, 2009, that's what we did. Uh, no. I started here in 2011. Oh, okay, okay. The company I was working for was also an electrical contractor, and okay. they went out of business. I came from seeing what it looks like when when the growth is bad and isn't mm-hmm. successful. Um, so it was uh, just a good time to come. How was, for, how was that for you with being a company that was a sinking ship? How, how, <laughs> I guess that was a good learning experience. But. It was extremely educational. I'm not saying I ever want to do it again. <laughs> um, but being around as that took place, you got to see what, you know, they actually brought in what I guess they call a crisis manager. Mm-hmm. This consultant that comes in when stuff's really bad. And they boiled the business down so to the very basics of the business, which is you do the work, you please the customer, you get paid. You, know, you build the customer and you get paid for the work. Money's not coming the door. Somewhere in that basic framework, something's not happening. And um, it was really interesting to see them boil the business down. And uh, so what? And if you could talk, if you can't talk about it, that's fine. But what was broken that led to that? You know, um, they hired some people and entered a set another market, mm-hmm. and. People weren't upholding the same, you know, they got some really cheap work and it consumed the resources of the company trying to trying to contain that. But, you know, that's where I think if you're, what we talked about here at Elliot is, you know, expectations and accountability. If you do hire somebody, you don't stick them in a position, you put them in a position where they can learn to do things the right way. You don't put them out where, oh, I hope it goes well. Yeah. No, I'm I'm gonna make sure it goes well. I'm gonna make sure you you know what you say you know before I put you in a position that it can can hurt us. So it sounds like they kind of let, took their eye off the ball of where they were and uh, try to go some try to go towards the shiny thing <laughs> rather than focus on their core business. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden the shiny thing started pulling. They they couldn't even answer the core business because. Even the resources, you know, when the trouble started, all the good foremen went to try to fix it, and all the stuff mm-hmm. went to try to fix it, and it was just too far gone before. Uh, as you said, it's a good learning experience, not something you want to do on a regular basis, but I think it makes you appreciate when things actually go well, you know, yeah. rather than because you know what the opposite side of that could be. Yeah, it, it absolutely does make you appreciate it, and, uh, you know, we, Elliot, you know, Another interesting thing about that is it was a it was a construction company that had been passed down to the next gen family mm-hmm. generation of ownership. Elliot went a different different uh, different path with that. They didn't want to sell out to a big conglomerate. They wanted to protect the employees that had been here a long time. So they sold the company. Uh, Bill Elliot sold the company to the employees. Mm-hmm. Over the last, uh, I can't remember when we bought the last uh, chunk of the company, but it's now 100 percent employee owned. So, um, so does everybody have a piece, or is it just a like key personnel? Or? No, it is. It goes down to you know after you're here for a year, you're at ESOP, and then you know depending on the the uh, performance of the company and the safety performance of each division, that's how that's what determines your your ESOP for the year. Did, was that in existence when you came here? It, it was just starting. You know they mm-hmm. had they had 
the employees had bought a portion of the company at that point. It wasn't 100%. Um, but it does go down to apprentice level guys. So an 18 year old apprentice that starts with us, by the time he's finished his apprenticeship, he's also a, a fully vested member of the ESOP with oh, shares of the company. That's so, me. Especially, I mean, I'm sure that helps with retention and a lot of different things. Just gives everybody a bit of ownership. Yeah. So makes it, you know, it's not, it's, it's our company. And, that, and that's our, that's why, that's why I'm taking mine to an employee owner ownership in about, 10 years from now and the reason is is just because if you want high quality people to stay and especially if you're a family-owned business that's a hard thing to do because everyone automatically assumes that hey your son's going to get it or your daughter's going to get it you know so um, and my kids don't get anything so <laughs> probably what's left in my bank account when I'm all done but uh, um, so you know how how long do you guys prepare for the future do you guys you know, and I'm talking about like strategic thinking, you know, like, plan, you know, your five-year plan and things like that. What's the process you guys go through? Do you have strategic planning meetings? Do you push projections up to the president who meets with those, those people? Um, I, I read that question when you sent it to me before the podcast, mm-hmm. and I felt woefully inadequate because it's probably not. <laughs> whatever we're doing doesn't seem like good enough when you, when you think about it in those terms. But um, even, I guess, the biggest thing – we take our business, it's all about people. Mm-hmm. So the way we're planning for five years is develop our people now so that five years from now we can handle not, and, it, and it's also trained us to not think about, we need to train people to run our business as it looks now. We need to train our, you know, if we've grown 800 employees over the last five mm-hmm. years, we got to be ready to handle another 500 employees so we don't have to just train people to fill the roles we have now. Growth continues even at a, at a small pace. We got to be ready to meet those new challenges. And um, you know, over the last, we've got the uh, a lot of the heads of our company are retiring in, in next this year, next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And man, goes back three years ago, we started transitioning people into positions where they would be able to, you know, starting to fill those roles so that when these People that have been with the company for a long time and, and uh, just bleed Elliot um, disappear. It's not there's not all of a sudden they hold a fill. We've already filled it and then some. That's, that's probably the that's a, that's that's unique because most people don't think that. Most people just say, "Hey, the keys are on the desk." <laughs> <laughs> but but I guess with the operation as big as you guys are, and, and as I, as me and you talked before, I, I never realized how large you guys actually were and. Um, I knew you guys were a force to be reckoned with in this area, but I didn't realize uh, by employees how large you were. And then looking at your yard here, I didn't realize how many bucket trucks and how many, you know, how much equipment and stuff you have. Um, and with what you guys do, it's not like you can just indoctrinate someone quickly either, you know. So, because, I mean, you guys deal with some pretty serious stuff. Yeah, big learning curve. And as you know, uh, you know, I've talked before about, there's not enough qualified people to fill mm-hmm. those, fill all of those, you know, job openings or building people. And uh, so, but it's is that fun. is that your guys' biggest challenge? You think is is just finding people you can grow? Is it is that one of your biggest challenges you have? You guys have now? Because it sounds like from a work perspective, you guys are doing very well. Um, I think it's finding people to grow them. In other words, mm-hmm. we, we whether it's just our area of the country or whatever, but 
I've got way more eager young men that want jobs here to learn than I have ability to have people in place to train them and, and oversee them and those kind of things. So growing leaders and trainers is probably harder than growing, you know, filling that. Mm -hmm. there, I mean, I, I get five to ten a week of young men wanting to come on board and they just want to work. They, they don't, they're not necessarily. But they just don't have that skill set yet? They need to learn the skills. And yeah, that's what, I mean, what you guys do is, uh, you know, I actually, I, I always say, if I could do it all over again, I'd be an electrician, you know, just because I think it's really, really interesting. And what you guys do is, you guys do from high voltage down to, do you guys even do low voltage? Or you guys we do. Uh, we've got an RCD on staff, and uh, some, uh, some of them like to say we do everything from a battery to lightning bolt. Mm -hmm. kind of the, the, and and that's, uh, that's incredible, because like, you know, if you're an electrician, you get, get in. While from a company like this, you can look at numerous different areas you could possibly mm -hmm. go into, you know. Uh, although I believe construction is the best. <laughs> well, just to be just because of what you deal with, I, 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 you know, I think that's really not that I don't think high, uh, high volt is interesting, but it seems to be like a lot of repetitive tasks when like a building doing all the rough end stuff. In my mind, it's a little more complicated. A big part of collaboration and, and you know. Working for Elliot, obviously, the safety is a big deal mm -hmm. for, well, for all our customers, but really high on our utility customer side, um, which also is part of, you know, you, you you don't get a second chance a lot of times when you're working with a lot of high voltage. So training those folks, you got to know that they know what they're doing before you put them in that position. I mean, there's no, there's no shortcut to learning how to do that. Well, you know, I was thinking about this after we had talked before. You know, the top three usually of fatalities are stuff you guys deal with all the time. Heights, getting hit by stuff from heights and electrical shock, you know. And then sometimes caught between gets in there or whatever, but usually top three of those. And, and I mean, you're throwing people directly into, you know, I mean, we're not, you're not throwing them in there, but you're putting them in a position where they can not come home, you know. Um, so. And I want to touch on something there in just a minute, talking mm -hmm. about one of the initiatives we got going on right now. Um, but you also, one of the things that, that is different between their business and, and our business and construction is they deal with probably more hazardous things, but they're more in control of them because they have their own job sites, their own setup. You know, they've got public to worry mm -hmm. about, but we've got 20 other contractors, <laughs> some of which don't value safety the same way we do. Yes. That, that collaboration really makes up. Uh, what we do in construction, really cool to, to bring all of those people together to kind of create something. When it goes right, it really goes right. Mm -hmm. you can tell. Um, one of the things you talk about from a, uh, preventing those, those really had uh, serious injuries mm -hmm. that we've got going on is we're calling it a SIF initiative. SIF stands for Serious Injury or Fatality. Mm -hmm. And uh, from an industry standard standpoint, the industry has done a remarkable job of decreasing your your day-to-day -day injuries. In other words, guys are wearing gloves. We're not sending somebody to get stitches once a week. It, it, it's really gone down to a to a you know a really small amount. What they found uh, over the last few years is that the serious injuries have not followed suit. Everybody had a mindset of 
get rid of all the little injuries, the big injuries will stop happening and the, the triangle stops. Mm-hmm. They found that that's not the case. These, these life-changing, life-altering injuries are still occurring at about the same rate. So one of the, one of the things that we've done is uh, I'm on a, a task team uh, company-wide where we're meeting to, to work on, okay, yeah, we've gotten the, the uh, low-level recordable type injuries, the sprained ankles, the, the cuts on your hand kind of stuff down to a very, very, uh, very low amount. How do we get, it hasn't worked, but that's gotten rid of these big, uh, big events. How do we, how do we twist that? How do we turn the dial a little mm-hmm. bit more to where we eliminate the risk of those, those really bad, uh, really bad incidents? Are you guys on to anything, you know, that you can, you can point out? I know one of them is behavioral-based safety, you know, that's a big thing, you know. You can provide somebody all the PPE you want, but... If they don't act right, you know, you have it doesn't mean anything. Um, one of the things that we've seen is, you know, the the, the model is, oh, if it's a if it's a near miss, yeah, we, we we might talk about it a little bit, we might report it, mm-hmm. but nothing happened, we're good. Well, the right answer is we might put a lot of attention to somebody that got stitches because it's a, it's recordable. Mm-hmm. Something might fall and land next to a person two feet away that might have killed them if it had hit them. And we go, no, well, nothing happened, so we're okay. But the reality is why that thing fell two feet from him is more, you can learn more from that than Mm -hmm. from somebody who was careless with a knife and cut their hand. That's where we need to take that near miss. And, and explore that event to learn from it to how do we eliminate it in the future. So it's, it's ratcheting up attention on things that could have been really bad versus things that, yeah, it doesn't mean we don't want to send somebody to get stitches once we not to say that. We got we to still keep those incidents down. We just may not need to, to pour as many resources into and what's, in, what's interesting about that is that uh, there, I mean, there's research on like, you know, behavioral-based safety, and one of the items is, do you realize that, and uh, and it's something you may want to take back to your committee, and I mean, for for listeners to think about, you know, there's over 400 near misses, it's like mid 400s near misses before you actually have a fatality. So just by the numbers alone, you know, it's just like you said. Nobody pays attention. It's like a car, you know, check engine light. Just let it roll until something major happens. And um, there's plenty of that, hey, there's a problem here, there's a problem here, but people are, I, I guess it's the, the thought that, hey, you know, we, we're lucky. Nobody got hurt, you know, so. Well, it's like taking, so you have you know, one serious injury or fatality, and you want to take that one to zero. Well, if you just focus on that one and mm-hmm. trying to get it to go to zero, you, you, what you said was you got to back up. You got to focus your attention on the 400 near misses that could have been bad. You get rid of those 400. Now you get rid of the one, um, and, and that's really where we're. Well, I, I mean, I guess you know, <laughs> a lot of people give safety lip service, and I guess you know what I get from talking with you and you know I, I, I poked around your website uh, a bit before I came and 
And what I know of you guys is safety is a really big thing with you guys. Well, partly because of what you guys do. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously, you work with some pretty hazardous stuff. But um, there's a lot of companies that just give lip service just because they want to keep clients or whatever. So We are oftentimes um, you know, working in you know, our commercial construction. We, we do a lot of small jobs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oftentimes, our guys are the only ones on site wearing hard hat, safety glasses, and gloves. Why? And, and fall protection. I mean, things that you would think are shouldn't happen anymore. But, but we, we've got our guys doing those things because, um, and, I, and I think we, it was a transition from a little more of a lip service mm-hmm. of, oh, yeah, 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 we, we're good, to, no, we are really going to do all of these things and it's going to make an impact. And that's a hard thing because when you have your guy go out there and then you have everybody, all the other subs go out there and nobody else is following the rules, but you have to follow the rules. That's a, that could be a hard thing to kind of, um, but, you know, it sounds like with the training you guys have in, uh, in place and the, the process you guys have in place, that I mean, it's not just, hey, we're telling you to do it. We kind of expect that. Yeah, and, and it ties back into, we, which I think it ties back to, you know, everybody has ownership with part of being an ESOP member. If there's lots of people getting injured, your ESOP contribution at the end of their, your, your ESOP goes down at the end of the year doesn't help the, the guy that just started because he's not really vested yet, but your, your five and ten year guys that you got a pretty good, that's seen what it can, uh, what it can do. And drawing the, that link between those two yeah. is, is, people think, well, people know that, but by drawing that link, I think you really drive home, this is not, I mean, we don't want anybody to get hurt, and that's really what it's about. But at the end of the day, if I work my comp premium double, mm-hmm. that comes that takes away from our net profitability. You know, and if our EMR rate goes up, we may not be able to get work. You know, so um, what you know, talking to you personally here, what skills and abilities do you think has? And I, I know you're a humble guy, so I'm I'm asking this, but but what skills and abilities do you think that you bring to the table for? For you know your company that that has helped you be successful. Um, one of the things is coming from a construction management background. So I got you know, went to school for construction management, worked for a CM for for a few years before I started in as a subcontractor, and it, it was things that I took for granted that I learned working for a CM that I realized don't aren't prevalent in the subcontracting world because a lot of those people are grown out of a trade or something. Mm-hmm. They, they're not exposed to um, like some of the things that, that you all do, the high-level scheduling and um, that, you know, estimating all of those things that I kind of took for granted that I knew. I didn't I didn't realize that not everybody has that background. Not everybody has those things. So I'm being able to take some of those things and, and teach others and, and really bring bring up the level of uh, project management that working for a company that does utility work and subcontract work, you know, utilities kind of take, they kind of assume that role of the manager. Mm-hmm. They give you the materials, they tell you where to go, they, they kind of uh, assume that role. I've been able to bring some of those construction management skills that, that I've learned and, and incorporate them into our business. What I think is funny about that is you probably did this. You probably you took it for granted that people just know, 
And I was at a training with subcontractors, and I said CPM. And someone was like, what's that? And I said the critical path method. And they're like, what's that? And I think that, and I just assumed that everybody in construction knows that. You know, everybody understands that concept. And um, what I failed to realize is that they understand how to do, how to lay block, how to lay brick, how to do rough and electrical. That other stuff is not, they don't bring to the table. So I can see someone like you really helping uh, uh, self-perform company like you have bring that to the table. And I think that's what a lot of, where a lot of subcontractors fall short is they don't have that knowledge and ability. So, um, so that's good. Um, so um, if you were to give advice, uh, you know, to someone looking to get into your kind of business and grow, you know, now that you're looking, I mean, I want like to say late in your career. <laughs> that would age me too. But, but if you were to look back in your career, you're at a point right now where you could say, a young man, a young woman comes to you and says, hey, I want to have your job someday. What kind of advice would you give them? What direction would you give them? Um, one of them would be just immerse yourself in the, immerse yourself in the details. Um, I really am passionate about construction, and I, I, I want to know. I don't just want to walk through a site wondering what the electricians are doing. I walk mm -hmm. through the site wondering what the steel guys do and the concrete guys do, and I, the whole the whole process fascinates me. So when I get a set of plans, I I, I want to understand the whole project, not just the electrical side. Um, and I think that would be my advice. Is and I've seen some people come in as, as managers and they they kind of want to oh leave that to the you know really diving into the plans. Let's see guys figure that out. They they got to figure that out. They don't get into all the details and come easy for me because I, I like it. I really mm -hmm. understand how it all goes together. Um, but not everybody has that drive to really get in, like an estimator has to get into mm -hmm. those details. And the more you, you learn, and I guess the second thing would be ask questions. Um, you know, I found as a young CM going to the, the top tradesmen and saying, why, why are you doing that that way? I would first get a little bit of a nervous reaction because mm -hmm. I thought I was questioning what they were doing. And I said, man, I'm, I'm asking because I want you to teach me why you're doing what you're doing. And uh, once I got past that little awkwardness of me being the CM and asking questions, they explained it to me. And they're the ones that really know how, how the work goes in. So I've learned from... It's funny how open people are when you, like, say... Hey, you know, get, you, you have reciprocity there. You give them credit for their knowledge and their experience. And it just seems, it seems how, it's, it's funny, I think what we lack in construction altogether more than anything is something that you're very strong in is soft skills. So, um, and I talk a lot about that because I think it's, we, we focus so much on drawings and specs and those things, and those are important, but the ability to communicate is just huge. And I, again, it's another one of the things that I learned that I take for granted, which is something as simple more, how simple as how to write a good RFI, how to get somebody to answer the question you really need an answer to. And it comes back to simple communication. Um, with our servant leadership model, that's really what it is all about is a lot of people call it soft skills. 
but it's probably more difficult than absolutely the hard skills. Yeah. Is looking somebody in the eye and saying, "Hey, man, you're you're not meeting expectations. Here's what I need you to do. I'm going to get back with you in a couple weeks. We're going to see how you're doing. And, you know." really need you to improve. Because the technical skills have the right and the wrong answer. It's really a black and white. When there's a lot of gray in those those other skills, you know, um, how, how do you effectively counsel somebody when they're messing up? That's, that's, there's a lot of gray area there. And, and the, the, to be humble enough to also give them credit when they do a good Absolutely. job. Hey, that was really good, and I want to see more of it. And, and that, it it's much harder than learning the is is kind of how you are in your personality and I, I would describe you as as a, a confident humble person is that kind of the culture you guys have around here and um, that you know people or is that something unique to your business unit or is it when you talk about serving leadership I think of a lot of people who are confident in what they do they're just they don't they're not braggarts they just you know are humble about the way they go about doing business and I think that's culture around here. Um, a lot of people, um, I've always been impressed, and even from when I started here, how everybody kind of worked hard, did their job, and but not not a lot of frills. You know, mm-hmm. when it, when you met somebody from IT, it was not just oh here's the here's the computer we rework from somebody else, make it work. It was professional setup, they pride themselves on you having everything you need, mm-hmm. everything worked right, and that hit me in the culture that even, again, when you go to accounting and the people that you work with in accounting, they truly see themselves as wanting to be successful so that the whole business is successful. I, I think it is the culture around here. It's probably one thing that's helped me to, to be successful here and sitting in. It, it was natural for me to fit into that. So tell me about some things that you've failed on in your career and you've learned from and then some things you've succeeded in, you know, on. And I know that's kind of tough to – a lot of people don't like to call it failures. I personally think that it's not a bad thing to fail, you know, but some people like to call it, uh, you know, challenges. But um, so talk a little bit about what those what those were for you um, personally. Um. Personally, I'd say some of the, the failures, which there have been a lot, um, you know, I'll think about specific projects that, that didn't go well, and, and um, but that's probably not as big of failures as the times when, you know, a lot of taking things, assumptions is really what it comes mm-hmm. down to, um, setting something up that you thought was going to happen and not making the phone call the night before to say, hey, make sure you show up on site that next day and um, not being clear in communication and finishing communication. I feel like those were the failures that brought me to, that I learned from more than anything was um, having bad communication and, and those kind of things where I realized that, okay, it, there's a better, there's an easier way all you got to do is not make that assumption and finish the communication. Um, it's not very specific, but in my mind, I could think of you know, <laughs> I'm sure there's a hundred times that I did it wrong. Well, it doesn't have to be one event. It could be, yeah, it yeah. sounds like I did it wrong. I didn't get good results. And then later on went, okay, I'm not going to do that again mm-hmm. and move forward. But that, that's 
really the things that I've learned from. More than what about on the success side of things? Um, success side is, um, I guess, the biggest successes around here are, are when, when getting somebody to learn a new skill and, and come up, you know, mm -hmm. to that next level and take somebody that, um, you know, talk about one of our uh, young electricians that showed up here and, and you know, kind of wiry young kid and you saw him and you went, yeah, think he's here next week, you know, mm -hmm. and then. Four years later, he's a, you know, licensed electrician. He's got a Dixie level two. I mean, he's a rock star. And, mm -hmm. and, and when you got hundreds of those stories, but those are the those are the successes. You know what I think is pretty amazing is because you know we always talk in construction about like buildings and things like that. But hearing you talk, the the thing that you guys that you have communicated more than anything is about people because I think you put the link together that a lot of people don't it's not necessarily about the buildings it's about the people because if you take care of people they take care of the whole concept is related take care of the people they take care of everything else give them the tools and ability you know yeah with a lot of uh, what we've learned about certain leadership they talk about Southwest Airlines and how how the, the flight attendants uh, you know treat customers and, and that is can't remember his name, but you know, he said, if I take care of my flight attendants, they take care of my customers. They see them every day, and that's the way they, they built their successful airline. That's just one of the examples that we are talking about. And so the same thing we were just talking about, having your trade people out there in the field. You know, we treat them, treat them right, then they represent you well in the field, and it's a win-win for everybody. You know, it's uh, um, Would you say you learn more from your failures and your successes, or your successes more than your failures? Obviously, learn more from the failures. You got to be willing to learn from the failures um, in order to, to move towards the successes. Um, but you still got to be able to. Um, we have a kind of the model around here is, is learning. We try to build a learning organization, mm -hmm. and that anything that even things that go well. We've still not gotten to where every job goes perfect, and we're the model of efficiency. Far from it. We've got so many things that we can improve on. Just because we're having success doesn't mean there's not things we can improve. And you know, let's not dwell on the on the things that don't go well. Let's keep our sleeves rolled up constantly to be looking for where's that next improvement, where's that next thing that we can get better, um, where's the next training opportunity mm -hmm. for. You know, whether it's managers or whatever, we're, we're going to take advantage of it. Um, and, and that mindset that there is no there is no end to the development. And, and you said something that just uh, that just rang in my mind uh, a little bit as you were saying. Um, you know, really identifying. You know, you got to be able to say, "Hey, we had a failure. Let's talk about it." And I I, I think. Maybe that's the thing that people don't want to do or don't want to admit to. I I would think that there's a great thing to learn from, you know. And it's not a matter of dwelling on it. It's like, hey, we made a mistake. Let's don't ever make that mistake again. And this is what we're going to do to prevent that from making again. And most most organizations that I'm around keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. And in your guys' in this situation, you got 2,400 people. So you have a chance to make that the same mistake 
2,400 times, you know? Part of that SIP initiative that I was talking about, one of the things that we've identified is um, we, we try to do a good job of, of learning from uh, events or, or things that mm-hmm. don't go well and, and get that information out, but sometimes it takes a long time and sometimes it, you know, by the time the message gets to the person that needs it, they don't get the why of why. Okay, it's just another safety lesson mm-hmm. learning. Um, if you to really learn from events, we need to learn from them and communicate it in a, in a much more uh, efficient manner, mm-hmm. so that everybody not only gets, hey, here's here's what happened, here's here's why we're doing something different because that happened, and, and so that everybody gets the right message. Um, and I ask you this question in a little bit of a different way, but i ask it again, and, and this is just like, what personal advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue, uh, pursue an executive level position within the construction industry? Because you, you've been around the block, you've seen it from, you have a rare perspective that you've seen the general contractor side and the subcontractor side. Usually, as you know, people are on one side or the other. It, it, is there anything in that or any kind of personal advice? You know, this could be uh, David Dean had mentioned, you know, choose your wife wisely. <laughs> I thought that was probably the best, <laughs> the best advice of all. But, but you know, can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, a couple, couple things come to mind. One would be don't be in a rush. I've seen a lot of, a lot of young people that get so anxious to be moving a, ahead they don't build the foundation of, you know, like I said, spending mm-hmm. the time in the plans. Back when I started, there were not electronic submittals. I spent hours upon hours transferring comments from, you know, through the seven copies of the mm-hmm. middle. You remember that. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Um, in other words, I don't want to say, I hate the term page your dues, but don't be afraid to be in a position where you can learn things and take your time. You don't have to get there tomorrow. You know, the... the the possibilities are there. Um, and in my in my company, we call that chop wood, carry water. Because have you ever read that book? Uh-huh. There's a book, uh, and I would encourage you to have a uh, you you know people. It's not a hard read, but uh, my management team reads it each week, and it's it's two or three page chapters, and it just talks about chop wood, carry water, talking about hey, you got to do some of the hard work, and you got to pay the price, you know, at each individual stage, and enjoy the journey, and and it talks, you know, and it it, it really is. I encourage you. He has a series of different books, but uh, but anyhow, go ahead. And, uh, the other one would be just be willing to teach someone else. And it's really easy to get hung up on being busy or being competitive with someone that might be kind of at the same level with you, or feeling threatened by the new person they mm-hmm. hired that you know has all these you know, skills or whatever. You you feel threatened, so you don't want to reach out to that person, but it, the, the truth is the opposite. If you are the person that's willing to take some time and explain something to somebody all the way, or, or teach them something that they don't understand, or um, bring them along, it's going to propel you forward. And it, it's really easy to get hung up on being competitive internally, or, or not, not wanting to, oh, I'm busy, I don't have time mm-hmm. to reach out to that person. But, I've found the more time you spend trying to help people, A, you learn things better. Mm-hmm. You gotta try to explain something to somebody, you understand a lot Absolutely. better. Um, but you just that teach a man to fish, uh, 
mentality. And I love, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, Denzel Washington has this speech that he does at a graduation. You ever seen that? On you, oh, you got to watch it. So, and he says, one of the couple things he said in there that just reminded me, he goes, each one, teach one. And I think about that all the time, you know, because, you know, you want to improve your effectiveness, teach five people. Your effectiveness is improved fivefold, you know. And the other one was don't give a hand out, give a hand up, you know. And uh, you mentioned there, giving somebody a fishing pole so they know what to do in the future. And um, I, I think a lot of times I have to force my guys, delegate that task, teach somebody what well, takes more time. Yes, now. They may not be able to handle it. Well, mm. I'm not looking at him because he doesn't know how to do it. You're the one that's supposed to be teaching him. You're the one that's supposed to be training him. Teach him how to do it. And now you're succeeding. Absolutely. And, you know, and 80% of all failures in a business are because of management. So mm. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's because of that. So I, to kind of close out here, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you some topics here. And I'm, I want you to grade them on a 1 to 10 scale. And it's just, just give me a number. If you want to explain it, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. Um, but we're just going to go through the these uh uh, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, and we'll start off with scheduling. Uh, 10. Um, it's a successful job from a contract perspective, have good schedules, and they maintain a good schedule. Mm -hmm. um, I can't plan my subcontract work if there's not a plan, an overall plan. And uh, it's just, we see so many jobs that there's <laughs> not a plan, and we struggle because of it. And... I just feel like it's, in our industry, there's no reason not. Yes. There's too much, there's too much out there. Estimating. Uh, eight. Contract administration. Six. That could be because I have a very talented contract administration. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> here's the thing. Design. Uh, nine. Contracts. Seven, I wish we would use them better in our mm -hmm. industry. Um, we all have read through them, and but it seems like we have a, a project that has thousands and thousands of pages of information, yet we we try to function differently than the contract. Mm -hmm. If everybody could just get to, hey, this is how we're going to do it, this is what we put in the contract. And these are rules of the game. And, and, we, yeah. all, and we all play by the same rules. I feel like we put all that effort into all those thousands of pages, and then we try to function differently. Mm -hmm. so why don't we spend all our time on the contract? What about accounting? Uh, six. Selling work? Uh, I think eight. And last one is leadership. If there was a number higher than ten, I would, I would okay. use that. Well, that's that's good to hear. And and it's it, the funny thing is, is if you could get that one right, all the other ones take care of themselves. Yeah, you know. So, so hey, Jeff, I want to thank you for uh, for being on the podcast. And uh, um, you know, uh, I think you give a very unique perspective, uh, not just as um, you know a college graduate or someone who grew up in Kentucky or being part of a, a company that has grown. You know, you have so many different. Uh, unique perspectives along the way. I think that's going to be extremely helpful to uh, to someone who listens to this, whether it's fine or the current. And may maybe the general contract will actually take you seriously and actually start doing the schedule. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I can just imagine the headache you have to go through to deal with the schedule. So I want to get, do you have any uh, last comments or anything you want to talk about before we let off? I don't think so. I appreciate you coming in. Well, I thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm very impressed with, like I said, I, the fact that you guys are in multiple buildings down here, Blue Sky Parkway, and just the facilities alone are, are pretty incredible. Um, I cannot believe how many trucks you have parked out back. So, uh, so that that makes me feel good yeah, when don't I talk about it too much because the accountants—they don't, <laughs> don't want to see a part do it. They want to see I want to know how come I was out of power for three weeks during the last <laughs> ice storm with all these trucks back here. But, but I thank you so much. Uh, Connex next Connex will be uh, Stephen Gray from Gray Construction, and uh, we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.